We're going to continue on with our series on Love Dare here this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at Love Rejoices in Truth. And we'll be in 1 Corinthians 13. So you're welcome to go ahead and uh, open up to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, Love Rejoices in Truth. Now, as always, we always have a principle we want you to take home. And so uh, here this morning, uh, it's never right to rejoice in wrong, but love rejoices in truth. It's never right to rejoice in wrong, but love rejoices in truth. Now, there are many uh, movies and stories and books that are out there, uh, and they're based upon an evil person and a good person. And I know that's over- oversimplifying, but, you know, that's pretty much it. Uh, you have an evil person and a, and a good person, uh, and the, the evil person does something that maybe he or she, she should not do, and, and in the end their actions seem to backfire, and they end up getting what they deserve. Uh, and sometimes we express joy because of that, because uh, they got what was coming to them. I mean, it would be quite frustrating if the bad guys continue to get away with it, right? Uh, unless, of course, they're setting you up for a sequel, and then they'll get them next time. But this is, uh, I know, an oversimplification, but sometimes uh, we see that, right? And, and if we're honest, this doesn't just happen in movies and stories and books, but also happens in real life as well. We sometimes take pleasure in bad things that happen to bad people. We get uh, satisfaction when they get what they deserve. Keeping in mind, we hope we never get what we deserve. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. This is a very interesting verse regarding that. And uh, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 6. But so, so that we get a little bit of context here, let's start in verse 4. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. We've talked about these things over the last few weeks, and so if you've missed any of those messages, let me encourage you to go back and have a listen to those. But today we're going to be focusing on verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in or with the truth. Now we see two opposing ideas here in verse 6. Uh, We are not to rejoice in iniquity or unrighteousness or wrongdoing, depending on your translation you may have. But we are to rejoice in the truth. So let's take a look at the first idea here in verse 6. Rejoice not in unrighteousness. Now, I was um, having to think about this. I was like, well, what does that really mean? What does that really look like? And so as I was thinking through this, how we might be able to, to sort of organize this in my own mind, I came up with a few categories of ways that maybe one can rejoice in unrighteousness or wrongdoing, and some of these ideas may overlap a little bit, but, but we'll start with a, a, a general unrighteousness that one may rejoice in. Uh, this can refer to a, any, any unrighteous or wrongdoing in sort of a broader or general sense. Uh, I know there are videos online that people send one another, people doing things that maybe they shouldn't do, or maybe the, what they're doing is beyond their capability, uh, beyond their ability to do, and so they end up hurting uh, themselves doing those things. In fact, there was a uh, TV show not long ago on America's Funniest Home Videos that actually uh, used to uh, have these um, as a, a way of entertainment. And those videos are kind of funny, uh, and we laugh at their pain. You know, we have to admit that. Uh, but I don't think this verse is necessarily speaking of that sort of bad thing, even though uh, we probably shouldn't laugh at people that get hurt in their pain. Uh, but this verse is speaking so, sort of, 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 of a willful sin. 
and, and a wrongdoing being acted upon someone. Keep in mind that sin is, is behind the evil in this world. And it should not be rejoiced over or should not be made light of regardless of the person it affects. Whenever I first came to Australia 20 years ago, I had some people that wanted to sort of educate me on Australian culture and things. And so uh, one of the things they actually told me about when I first came here was something called the tall poppy syndrome. And, uh, and uh, the example that he gave is, is that, you know, we love, our, uh, we love our, our, our athletes and our sports and things. And, and oftentimes they'll go and take these athletes and they'll build them up and they'll build them up and they kind of almost put them on a, a pedestal and, and they're almost worshipped. And then, of course, uh, then some, something happens in their life. They do something wrong. And, uh, and those that they used to put on a pedestal and worship, they love to come and just cut them down. And they also take a little bit of pleasure in doing that is the way he described it to me. But let's remember that the price of sin cost Jesus his life. The price of sin cost Jesus his life. So sin is not something that we should make light of. So let's see if we can get more specific here. Not only in a general unrighteousness, but also a personal unrighteousness. When sinful things take place in your life, in my life, personally, they should not be celebrated. We shouldn't walk around and walk away from sin, from our sinful deeds, thinking that you know, we sort of got away with it, with a, with a big smile on our face, or go around bragging about it. There are many criminals that have been caught because they simply can't keep their mouth shut. They had to, to brag about what they did and how they got away with it, and they just couldn't keep it to themselves. And, and they go and they share that with somebody who goes maybe and shares it with somebody else or, or somebody overhears it, and they become discovered and arrested. But when we do something wrong, we shouldn't celebrate the fact that we got away with it or take any kind of pleasure in the sin that we commit. Now, I realize, yeah, sin can be fun. Sin can be fun. It can be exciting. But notice what the Bible says about sin. Here in Numbers chapter 32, God has given some instructions to his people. And he says uh, in verse 23, But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sins will find you out. Be sure your sins will find you out. Now, I don't believe this is just for Israel, but I think we can apply that to ourselves as well. Don't think that you can sin and get away with it. Your sins will find you out, the Scripture says. But also another category is individual's unrighteousness. Here is where you are aware of a person who has done wrong to others. And maybe they've gotten away with it for a long period of time, but one day their actions sort of catch up with them, and they are punished, and they receive some sort of loss, or maybe even loss of life. And maybe, you know, outwardly we show a little bit of sadness or remorse for what happened, but inwardly, man, that righteous spirit just wells up in us, and we celebrate their hurt, we celebrate their pain because of the wrong that was done to them. Love does not find pleasure in hearing others accused of sin and having it proved that they committed that sin. Some may even refer to this as karma in our society. Well, we as Christians, we don't hold to that. However, there is a principle in the Bible that says you will reap what you sow. We call it the law of sowing and reaping. 
You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. But even in those situations, <clears throat> we don't glory in the fact that harm or loss has come upon an individual. Uh, a heart of love doesn't do that. I don't know if you remember um, whenever the Black Lives Matter riots were happening in the States, I was sort of keeping an eye on the, uh, the TV there because there were some areas that, um, you know, I knew some people in those areas, and, and I just wanted to make sure that, uh, keep an eye on what was going on. And interesting, interesting enough, there was a number of black owners that actually got on TV, and they were, they were proclaiming, they were telling these guys, hey, quit doing that. I mean, you're doing this for Black Lives Matter, but you're destroying my business. And so it was interfering with the message in which they were trying to send. And as I was watching the riots take place in the States, I saw one video of some guy taking an object, and he actually reared back and he threw it at one of the business windows. But instead of shattering the window, it actually ricocheted, and it came back with force, and it popped him right in the face. And, uh, you know, you could see, I mean, it was really violent. You see his head just pop back. And uh, you, you guys are out there smiling. You didn't even see the video. You know what we're talking about. And I must admit, when I watched the video, I, I must have, I, I did have a little smile come upon my face because I was like, hey, you know, hey, that's what you deserve, right? That's what you get for misbehaving. But it shouldn't be that way. You know, we, we shouldn't rejoice in iniquity. But also, enemies' unrighteousness. Uh, this is more personal. And someone has offended you and you want to get revenge. However, before you can seek revenge, something comes along and, and happens in their life or maybe a wrong was done to them. And you gain satisfaction from seeing them experience the hurt and pain. Maybe even similar to the pain and the hurt that they cause you. You may uh, even have a tendency to rub it in a little bit. Maybe to point and laugh. To bring attention to it so that everybody can see the hurt and the pain that they have. And maybe to bring maximum exposure and embarrassment to them. And this can easily be done with phones today. We see it all the time, don't we? The cameras are always rolling and exposure is only a click away. And those images are used to bring hurt to those that we don't like. Another category I came up with is desired unrighteousness. Here is where one is looking for an opportunity to cut somebody down. To constantly try to set things in place to ensure that they fail. They desire to sabotage their life. An inability to see them happy while they themselves are miserable. So to ensure that they are just as miserable, one goes out of their way to make their life as hard as possible as they possibly can. These are the sort of things these verses are referring to. They take joy in seeing bad things happen to others or see them fall into sin. This is the, sort of the negative side of this verse is what we're talking about. But we're not to rejoice in wrongdoing, but rather we are to rejoice in the truth. The Bible says we are to rejoice in the truth. So, of course, if the Bible says that we're to rejoice in the truth, then maybe one of the first questions we need to ask is, what is truth? What is truth? I mean, that's a fair question if we were to rejoice in truth. I enjoy the field of magic. An illusion. And I know some people think magic's bad. You know, it's not the bad magic. It's good magic. It was just illusions. It's tricks and things. And 
And so ever since I was a little boy, I used to love seeing it, doing it, and, and, and uh, we would go to places like Disney World or, or some theme parks and stuff, and there's always some guy out there uh, in the street doing a little street magic, and I always would go and have a look and, and watch them do his street magic, and, and then I'd look from this angle and watch him do it, and I'd go over here and watch this angle and see if he'd do it, just so I could see if I can pick up on how he does it. And then they would go and have a, usually a magic show, uh, inside of a little theater, and so I'd go in the magic show, get right up front so I can get uh, just right up there so I can see what's happening and going on. And of course, uh, uh, once that's over and done with, uh, you go through the magic shop, and then you can go and buy all those items, and, and I'll make sure I had me a wad of cash, and I would go and, and buy all those items, and then you go and take it home, and you, and you open up the instructions, and you actually see how they're done, and you're like, yeah, that's not very impressive, is it? <laughs> you know, you, you just uh, ruin it, don't you? But uh, I used to love magic shows. I enjoy the magic shows. The church I was at, and uh, there was a guy there that, that owned a, a magic uh, shop. And he would actually come to church, and he would do these little magic shows or, or, or illusions at, at kids' church. And he would call it gospel illusions. And what he would do is he would take these every ordinary illusions that you may see uh, with any magic show, and he would actually put a, uh, a gospel message to it. And I was watching this, and I was seeing this, and my childhood came back to me. I was actually an adult at that, that, that time. But, I, but my childhood came back, and I was like, hey, you know what? This is cool, man. This is awesome. I love this. Man, this is fantastic. I mean, I could do something that I really enjoy doing and actually have a gospel focus with it. I got into that a little bit, and, and I went and bought, you know, like $500 worth of material and things that I could be working on and, and doing it, did a few shows and whatnot. But unfortunately, I wasn't very good at it. I um, could do the illusions flawlessly, but the, the, but the problem I had was the banter, what we call the banter, where you have to go and talk the whole time you're doing it, and sometimes you do that in order to, to uh, offer distractions and things so you can actually do the, 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 the illusion and the trick. I had a hard time with that. Uh, sometimes I was too, too focused on doing the illusion that I would actually forget to talk. Sometimes uh, when I did talk in order to try to, to offer a distraction, I end up distracting myself and I flub up. And so I wasn't a, a very good magician. Uh, my, my career as a, as a magician uh, came to an abrupt end. So I became a preacher instead. <laughs> go figure. But when you go to a magic show, you expect to be deceived. Right? You want to be deceived. Yeah, you want uh, somebody to try to pull the wool over your eyes. I mean, it's not much of a magic show, if not. Now, that's fine for a magic show, but not in real life, and certainly not in our relationships. You may have a boss that doesn't like you very much, and so uh, he's not honest with your job performance or evaluation in order to prevent you from, from advancing in your career. That's unacceptable. Or in a marriage, the betrayal that one feels when they find out that their spouse has been living a lie and how it crushes them. And many times, those relationships can't recover. So if we're going to rejoice in the truth, then we must ask, what is truth? But here's the thing. What is truth is a question that our society is battling with today. We see it every, every day on the news or in the paper and social media. 
And Christian and churches must deal with this issue of truth. We can't stick our head in the sand and pretend like nothing's happening. We can't be apathetic about this. Right now, churches are being censored in what they can say or do in our nation. The truth of God is being suppressed. Christians are are losing their Christian liberties because they have the audacity to share biblical truths with their communities. And it's happening right up underneath our nose. Truth in our society has become irrelevant. It seems that we're living within a magic show. It's hard to know what's real and what's fake. People aren't desiring absolute truth, but they are, they are willing to have the, the wool pull over their eyes because they don't want to live in the truth. Political correctness has gone insane, and truth is no longer absolute. Truth is no longer important. It's all about your feelings and what you think is right for you. Truth is what one deems it to be. So your truth may be different from my truth, even though they're opposing truths. And society says, well, you must accept both as truth. Unless, of course, it's a Christian truth. Well, then you can reject it outright. Your truth is true for you, but it may not be true for me and vice versa. And my truth is just as true as your truth, despite the fact that they're opposite. I mean, I can say that this wall is black, and, and somebody else can come along and say, well, no, it's white, and according to today's definition of truth, we both can be right. This is the game that our culture is playing with truth. When it comes to maths, I may say 2 plus 2 equals 4, and another says 2 plus 2 equals 5. We both can't be right. This isn't reality. You may, let, me, let me encourage you. You go and you try that at your local bank, and you see what happens. You go up to the lady at the counter and say, I've got a couple of $20 bills here. You put it on the counter and say, I'd like to deposit $50 in my account. You see what happens. She's going to look at those $20, and she's going to say, well, uh, if you want to deposit $50 in your bank account, then I need another 10 Oh, no, 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 no. Uh-uh, no. That may be true for you, but that's not true for me. I need you to put $50 in my account. Let me tell you, my friend, that's not a battle you're going to win. With opposing truths, this this really uh, uh, is what's happening in our society, and they're playing fast and loose with the truth. Either we both are wrong, or one of us is right and one of us is wrong, but according to the law of contradiction, we both cannot be right. Our culture is becoming more and more tolerant Intolerant of absolute truth. So for us to rejoice in truth, we must first understand what truth is. And in order to to understand what truth is, in order for truth to be truth, then there must be some standard by which it can be tested. Otherwise, anything can be proclaimed as truth. Then society does what's right in their own eyes, just as in the time of Judges. And history tells us that that didn't turn out very well. Where do we get this absolute truth from so that we can evaluate other truths against it in order to determine whether or not it's valid or not? Because in reality, we can't get it from society. 
I mean, the Bible talks about the last days and talks about what's going to happen to the truth. In fact, let me share a few scriptures with you and see if you don't, see if it doesn't describe the time that we're living in. Just sit back and listen to this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Watch this. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Do we not see that in our society today? People who are suppressing the truth because what uh, may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has shown it to them. They know the truth. The Bible talks about how the, the, the universal laws of God are written upon our hearts. And so we have a conscience. And people know that this is true, but yet they purposely go and they suppress the truth. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is what we refer to as general revelation. As we go through and we look at our world and we see God's beautiful creation out there, it tells us that there must be a designer, there must be a God out there, and based on that, we are without excuse. But yet we still have people who are wanting to suppress that truth and come up with their own lies. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but, came, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice how it describes them. But here's where we need to be careful. Listen, for this reason... God gave them up to vile passions. God gave them up. There came a point in time where God has, has, has shown them the truth. And they know the truth. But yet they keep suppressing the, the, the truth. They keep uh, uh, saying that, you know, there is no God. They, would not, they refuse to glorify God. And so God says, all right, fine. If you want to continue on that way, you want to continue to darken your heart, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Notice how, for, for, for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lusts for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, there it is again, to do those things which are not fitting. But filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violence, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those, of those who practice them. These are things that are happening in our society today. And yet it is becoming more and more accepted because the truth is being suppressed. And notice the last part of that verse, but the same by also those who approve of those who are practicing them. 
So it's not enough for just those who are actually doing this. This is talking about those who are approving of this as well. And this is exactly what we're seeing. I just saw in the uh, article this week that there is a church now that are approving things that is unacceptable. And they're just going politically correct. And here we have an institution that is supposed to be preaching the truth. But yet, instead, they are approving of those who practice such things. You see, we're to be tolerant today. Everybody wants to be tolerant. That is tolerant with everything but Christian truths. They're under attack. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 says, Oh foolish Galatians. Notice how he refers to them. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Paul goes and says, you know the truth. I've told you the truth. But somebody has come in and they've shared another truth with you. And he says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? And then in verse uh, uh, 4, verse 16, it says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Do we not see this in our world today? We have pastors who will stand up in the pulpit and they will preach the truth of God's word and the next day they become public enemy number one. They're in the newspaper. They're all over the, the internet. They're all over social media. And they're being bashed and, and they're being lied against. 2 Timothy 4, 4 says, And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside, turned aside to fables. They willingly reject the truth for a lie. Matthew 13, 15 says, For this people's heart waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed. Least at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Wax gross means to make fatty or thick. It's a metaphor. It means really to make stupid. They, 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 they build up their hearts so it can't be penetrated. And here you have ears that are plugged up. We have people, they don't want to hear the truth. They stick their fingers in their ear and they don't want to hear the truth. They refuse to hear it. And then you go and you try to take the word of God and show them what the Bible says and show them the truth of God. And they don't, no, 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 I don't even want to see it. And they close their eyes. They refuse to hear the truth because they would rather believe a lie. Isaiah 59, 14 says, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. The word fallen there means to stumble, become weak. We may sometimes use the word, the term watered down. Truth is fallen in the streets. It has become meaningless. They've taken it, and, and this is actually a court of justice phrase here. It means that justice is not being done in the courts of law. And what they've done is they've taken the truth, and they've thrown it out in the streets. And as a result of that, people are trampling, trampling on them. They're walking on them. Truth has become meaningless. In these verses, we see what's happening today. And, and if these verses don't describe the time that we're living in, listen, I don't know what does. We see evidence of this all around us, and, and it, is, it is being presented without any shame. It is being flaunted right before our eyes. And this type of behavior was done in secret, but hey, no more. 
Not anymore. In fact, it is being presented as the new normal. And society must accept it. So where can we find absolute truth to govern our lives and our relationships? We definitely won't find it in society or media. But listen to me here this morning. The Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Truth is not only something that we have to grapple with in society, but also in Christianity as well. It's infiltrated our, Christian, our Christianity and our churches. There are some in our Christian circles that claim to receive additional revelation apart from the Word of God. And in doing so, sometimes we hear things by them that they claim that God spoke to them. However, when you go and you remove the hype and you actually listen to what they have to say, you will find that it does not line up with the written Word of God. It doesn't line up with the written Word of God. We have people today that claim to be delivering the truth, but in reality, they're being deceptive. They use a loose form of the truth in order to manipulate others to do what they want them to do. We need to be careful of people who make these audacious claims which cannot be backed up by Scripture. In order for Scripture to be true, then it has to measure up with an absolute. And the absolute for Christians is the written Word of God. It is the written Word of God. It is not a matter of being moved by the Spirit because the Bible says that we are to, to worship God in spirit and in truth. The devil is the king of deceit. This is how he works. He doesn't necessarily present you with some audacious whopper of a lie because he knows you will see right through that. No, he takes a little bit of truth and he mixes it with a little bit of a lie and he goes and presents it to you. And it's so close to the truth that you want to believe it. So you swallow up the lie and the truth together. And then the devil builds upon that lie. And with each lie you believe, he takes you further and further and further away from the truth. This is why our Bibles are so important. This is why we should study our Bible often. By knowing God's truth will protect us from the devil's deceit. It will give us discernment to ensure we travel down the right path. The Bible is truth. But also Jesus is truth. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus clearly identifies himself as the truth. Notice I didn't say a truth. Because there's, a, there's some Bibles out there. If you go and read that verse, it says that Jesus says, I am a truth. And the reason why they have put that in there is because they are trying to deceive you. Because they want you to believe that there's more than one way to get to heaven. And this is not what the scriptures teach. Jesus says, I am the truth, the only truth. Therefore, what Jesus says is truth. How Jesus behaves demonstrates a life of truth. What Jesus promises will come to completion because His Word is true. And even if we don't understand it, we never have to question it because we know Jesus is truth. But also we see the spirit of truth. 
In John 14, verse 16, it says, I will, pray that the fa- I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. Notice His name there, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be with you. And verse 26 goes on to say, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus' name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things I have said to you. The Spirit will show you things and reveal uh, to us things that are true. The Spirit will not uh, focus on Himself, but rather he, He puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is truth. He goes on to say in John chapter 16, verse 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. And He will glorify Me, and He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of God will never lead you to do something that will distract you from Jesus. He will always lead you to the truth. So how can we apply these verses today on truth to our relationships? Because this is a Love Dare series. And truth is important in our relationships. Now that we have an understanding of what truth is and where it comes from, then how can we rejoice not in wrongdoing, but rejoice in truth when it comes to our relationships? Well, we do this through discovering the truths in our relationships. Through discovering the truth in our relationships. And here's where that love action comes in. The action behind the love. We need to discover truths in relationships. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to communicate the truth. We need to communicate the truth. There will be disagreements in relationships. Each may have their own truth from their perspective. But sometimes that truth may get embellished or cause, uh, cause a, to, just to cause or show a greater hurt maybe. We use that to, to sort of push people away. However, with separation, there is no reconciliation. So it's important to get to the truth. To communicate, a communicating of the truth must emerge. It must happen. We have to have truth in our relationships. And when communicating the truth... Avoid using extremes like never and always because in most cases, that really doesn't represent the truth. We need to communicate the truth in love. And through that, we can discover the truth. Often, what is being communicated is not always the whole truth. Sometimes we just need to get a, grab a pen and paper and seek first to understand, then to be understood. And when sharing your truth, do it in such a way as to be understood. Don't try to embellish it or make it something it's not. Write those thoughts down clearly so that you can go back and to make sure that what you heard is actually what's being said. And go over these thoughts together to discover what is really true. And once you have discovered the truth in this process, then embrace the truth. Embrace the truth. Generally, the truth is somewhere in between. And once discovered, embrace it. You may discover that the truth you started with wasn't the complete truth after all. However, that truth must be embraced. And once embraced, it can be acted upon. We can act upon that truth. What does that look like? Well, sometimes we need to actually may, we have to go to somebody and say, Hey, look, I need your forgiveness. 
I mean, this is the truth that I started out with, and now I've discovered that this is not really the truth after all, and I've offended you as a result of that. I need to ask your forgiveness. Or maybe you need to go and forgive someone, regardless of whether they ask for it or not. Accept your part in the misunderstanding. Discuss how may, it may be avoided in the future, and then make the necessary changes in your relationship if required. And then, and then you can rejoice in the truth in your relationships. Then you can rejoice in the truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing is a carpentry term. It actually means to cut straight. In fact, oftentimes we go in and we start setting up our saws and, and things. We use the term sometimes, we want to make sure it's true. We want to make sure it's cutting straight. It's cutting accurately. And so we go through and we calibrate them to make sure we're getting the right angles. This ensures that all the pieces fit well together. So when it comes to the truth, we must cut it straight. And we not only need to do this when it comes to the Word of God, which is what this, this particular passage is talking about, but also we need to do this when it comes to the truth of our relationships as well. We must be honest with the information that's at hand. Listen, you can't make positive changes in your relationship if you don't have a grasp of the truth. But when that truth is discovered then one can rejoice in the truth because only then can you grow in your relationship with one another. And once that truth is discovered, then healing can begin and one can become close to one another again. Listen, love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. What truths are yet to be uncovered in your current relationships? It can be uh, between a husband and wife, or child, or a parent, or even an employee, or, or a boss. John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Would you like to be free to love in your relationships? Then your relationship must be based on truth. Don't base it on assumptions or false information. Base it upon truth. And the greatest truth that you can walk out of here today with is knowing this, that Jesus Christ loves you. That Jesus Christ loved you so much that He gave His life for you. He died on the cross for you. And knowing this truth will lead you to one of the greatest relationships you could ever have, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about that truth and how to have that wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to come up to me and set up a time with me, and I'd love to discuss it with you. And I'll take God's Word and show you how you can know for sure that if you were to die, you would spend eternity in heaven. But as we go out this week, listen, let me encourage you to seek to discover the truth today. As our principle says, it's never right to rejoice in wrong, but love rejoices in truth. So let's celebrate our truth this week and let's discover it.